Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to Farm Equipment's Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps Podcast. In this episode brought to you by Iron Solutions, host Casey Seymour of Moving Iron LLC sits down with Don Aberley, Used Equipment Manager with Titan Machinery. If this is your first time listening, you can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. It's also now available on Spotify. By subscribing, you're alerted when each new episode is released. Let's listen in as Casey and Don discuss the state of the ag economy and the amount of debt some customers are carrying and how both of those issues impact machinery sales. I've known Don for a while now, a couple years now. I met Don back at a meeting and we've been uh, kind of bouncing stuff back and forth from each other for a while. And I'm a firm believer in uh, contacts and, and especially in this business, you know, when you've got used equipment stuff going on, as many uh, off-color guys that you can have that's not in your wheelhouse normally, you know, me being a John Deere guy and Don being a, a red guy, it's it's good to have correlation between each other. So when I get a red piece, I can bounce it off of him or and vice versa. So Don, welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, Casey, I appreciate you having me. And I, and you're right. I do appreciate uh, having contacts that are, as you put, off-color. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's important in this uh, industry. I mean, it's... Uh, it's too small of an industry. Uh, we all need to be helping each other out rather than beating each other over the, over the head every day. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's, there's a little truth to that statement. A little bit of a truth to that statement. So there's uh, the dollars. Dollars are too. Uh, there's too much. Too much dollars at stake with some of the values of this equipment. That's for sure, man. You can wrap up a few dollars pretty quick, and, and just uh, just not too many pieces of equipment. So yeah, that would be correct. Sort of like a planner that I asked you about the other day. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, especially those things, man. I tell you what, you miss on those by much, and you're uh, you're uh, you sunk your ship, man. All right, I hear you, man. I hear you. Okay. Well, I wish I'd have had you on when there was there was uh, more to talk about. There's not very much stuff going on in the market right you now. You know, so. there just isn't. You know, it's kind of no, no excitement. Uh, nothing going on with tariffs. Nothing going on with our nothing president. Uh, equipment nothing flying off the off the shelves. I mean, it's, there's just nothing going on. It's just too easy right now, right? <laughs> I, I, I get. I go back to an article you wrote a while back. There is no easy button. Uh, it's never That's easy true. in this industry. But the beautiful part about this industry is, gosh darn, if it was easy, everybody would do it, right? That's right. Uh, That's exactly right. A lot of stuff going. A lot of stuff going on. What do you think? A lot of stuff going on. What do you think about this? Uh, our, our favorite uh, topic of, of the last uh, few days. Well, I tell you what, man. You hear the tariff thing come back and forth, and I've said this a couple times, and I'm not saying this with any kind of, like, I'm trying to pass fault or anything like that, but I, I tell you what, if you take a look at the market right now, and let's just say we didn't have any tariffs at all, we just said it didn't even, wasn't even happening, right. and that wasn't a factor in the marketplace, we got... We have nine times the amount of beans that we would normally have and carry out. We have um, now corn, on the other hand, is one of those ones that's starting to reverse where our corn consumption is actually starting to catch up with with, uh, with, supply, uh, yeah. with supply, you know, so that's that's taken off. But, you know, cattle market through this whole tariff thing has done fine. I mean, I'm not say it's done fine. I want to sit here and pretend like paint some rosy picture, but it's been, they've had more wins than losses. Let's put it that way. The hog market. I mean, I've God dang, man, I'll tell you what, I, I just feel for the hog producer. I don't think they've had a chance to really ever catch their breath since the nineties when they were giving hogs away for free alongside the road. But yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think that hog thing though, with the old China thing, I think we'll uh, still finally see a little bit of light. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're going to see, we're going to see, 
see a chance for that, a little bit of rebound there. But Trump came out yesterday and, and said well, the last two weeks he's had a couple of conversations where one revolved around, you know what, we're going to go ahead and, and uh, get these tariffs back up and going. We're going we're gonna to tear it. Now everything that China says is just tariffed. There's nothing out there that's not. I mean, that was that was the last fell swoop. So, I mean, if it comes from China, you're paying 25% more for it. Just how it works, you know. So now we've got that in place. And then he, he did say that he thought he could have a uh, have a winner of a deal put together by, by June 1st, which is two weeks away. But in, in typical Trump fashion, when you're looking at this uh, at, at this whole thing, we've been we've been two weeks away from a deal since last February. So I mean, it's it's it's, it's you know a lot of things going on there. But I don't know. I think I think we'd kind of be in a similar boat right now if there weren't no tariffs in place. Um, is it easy to say that? Yeah. Well, this this that and the other thing is is what we're, what's what's causing it's, it's the tariffs that's bringing it down even further. Maybe, uh, but I, I still feel like that that we'd be similar boat that we're in now. I don't know. You know, you look at uh, our economy and how well it's going uh, and, and things, right. things are going well. Uh, I had a coworker the other day tell me, um, he made this comment, uh, Chad Kilstead. He said, uh, can you imagine what our economy would do, would be doing if the ag economy was helping, you know, that, oh, yeah, absolutely. there's a lot of truth to that, you know, this whole tariff thing, you know, good, bad, and different. Uh, I tend to agree that, uh, things would probably still be where they're at, even without the tariffs. I probably not as hard, for the guys, the soybeans and uh, some of that stuff going on, but uh, our economy is doing pretty good. Uh, you just wish yeah. that the, the farmers would not have to have that that uncertainty. I mean, we all know yep. when there's uncertainty, you can't plan, uh, you don't invest, uh, you can't think long term. Uh, you're worried about your bills, you're worried about your loans, those type of things. So that's that's bad, um, yep. and you sort of want the tariff thing to to settle. You know, the thing is, you know, when the tariffs do, and, and a deal will get done. I mean, Trump needs it for his oh, election. Absolutely. China needs it. At the end of the day, they need us. Um, we need them. But, um, you know, even when it does settle, uh, I don't think there's going to be this huge, We on the equipment side of it at least, we think there's going to be this huge bump or there's this huge rush to go buy equipment. I mean, there's a replacement demand out there for sure. But at the end of the day, there's, there's a lot of people in debt and uh, yeah. it'd be nice to get some commodity prices going up and maybe sell some stock or some stuff that they have in storage. But I think that just takes care of some past debt, maybe eliminates a little bit of stress, uh, but I don't anticipate, you know, a huge, uh, run on equipment what about yourself yeah I, i'm gonna agree with that i mean like you said there's a there's a replacement kind of air out there you know guys are looking at their equipment they've had it since 2012 13 14 something like that yeah. and they've got they've got twice as many hours on it they would normally have this at this particular juncture and where they would be at but on the other side too there's also a big a big repayment push out there as well i mean some of these guys i'm not gonna say that that everyone's behind because that's not true but from an equity standpoint, there's a lot of folks out there that are hanging by a thread when it comes to what their banks want to do with them because of their equity positions and different stuff, you know, so. You look at the debt to uh, asset ratio, I think going on yeah. five, six years now, it's it's been on the rise. I mean, yeah. uh, just because there's a bump in commodity prices doesn't mean it wipes away the past five years. No, and I, I look at, um, when I'm looking at the end of the year, I really feel like we're going to see a big jump in, in corn prices. I mean, 
I think we could have 450 corn by by this fall, um, just because of. I mean, look at what's going on right now with weather. I mean, look what happened yesterday in the markets, right? So today we're recording this. It's it's uh, May 14th. So yesterday we had a we had a 20 almost a 20 cent reversal from the low Sunday night till the, the close and what opened back up last night. So we had a 20 cent swing. So at one point corn was down seven and a half, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, in the December contract and this morning when or last night when I went to bed, I looked at my alert for when it opened and it was up 750. You know what I mean? So it was. You know, you take a look at that, that. There's some huge. That's a huge swing in the marketplace, man. That's you're talking about dynamically right. just flipping completely around to, to the other way. And those are the kind of things I think we're going to start seeing now as we start look at this 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 weather market that's developing. I mean, you're in where are you at? You're up in South Dakota, right? No, I'm up in North Dakota. Up in North Dakota. North Dakota. Okay. West Fargo, North Dakota today. West Fargo. Okay. So what's the weather like up there? What's what's uh. How's the ground temperature? What's what's going on up there? Well, I will tell you this: as far as you know, uh, tight machinery is in a few a uh, few states. As far as our footprint goes, you know, Nebraska. Uh, of course, you know Nebraska well. But up here in North Dakota, you know, we got uh, guys talking about PP. Uh, I mean, uh, we got what, mm-hmm. May twentieth is our deadline for corn, and and you, yep. you got some guys that haven't turned a planted a seed yet. Um, you know, and then we got uh, we had a nice day yesterday. A uh, little bit nice day today, but now we got rain coming in, and you're talking yeah. almost an inch and a half, two inches of rain. So now you're looking at the end of next week or middle of next week before you get in the field, and and now be, corn becomes not an option. Um, right. You know. So then you go to plant beans, but we all know what's going on with beans. But right. Uh, you, you do anticipate. Well, the thing about beans, we just got even if you do get some beans in and uh, uh, the commodity price, I mean, there's just so much volume out there. You can't plant uh, wheat, you know, we're too late for wheat. Um, so you just get more and more of the PP talk going on. Well, that's the thing too. You look at that. That's the other part of that. All right. So my anticipation this year was, oh, you know what, we're going to, we're going to, cause there's nothing the farmer loves to do more than farm. Right. That's why they're farmer. Right, but right. the, and you take a look at what's going on. Their options are so limited once you get outside of the corn window, right? You start, I'm going to go out and plant 2,500 acres worth of soybeans right now. You're, you're giving them away at that point. You know, you, we had beans are under eight bucks yesterday. And then figuring basis and everything else, you're 750, yeah. 740 a bushel. You're, you know what I mean? You can't make any money at that right now. There was a conversation I had the other day. A uh, farmer needed, um, his banker told him he needed 47 bushels an acre across his entire farm just to break even. Uh, yeah. and, and that's on beans. I mean, because he's, he's right. getting too late in corn. Okay, now you got to switch to beans and uh, and it's just tough. It's almost as bad as, you know, talking about beans and corn and you talk about the dairy guys, you know, for how many years, oh, God bless them. Yeah. How many years do they work up, work sun up to sundown and not, not make a penny. That's right. Uh, yeah. Yep. I, I just, and with that being said, that's one of the reasons why you love this industry. There's just oh, yeah. the work ethic of our industry is, is bar none. Yeah. It's a, it's such a passionately driven business. You know what I mean? Like where, where else would you go and, and kill yourself every day, a day in and day out <laughs> to make 
a few pennies, you know what I mean? And, uh, and, and do what they do. It's just, but on the flip side of that, there's, there's times they go in and, and bust their ass day in and day out, like 2012, 13, 14. Well, basically 2006 to 2013. And I mean, they, they couldn't, they haven't every, every farm had a Brinks truck backing up to it. You know what I mean? But it's just a cyclical thing, right? It's, there's no, it's like any other natural resource. You got booms and you got busts and, Unfortunately, we're they, at the bottom of a of a of a trough anyway. Well, we're we're you're talking about the bottom of the trough. I mean, we're uh, we've been at uh, at the lower end of that trough, or I think we've reached the bottom. Um, I don't yeah. think yeah. Uh, we can go down any farther. Uh, you don't see interest rates uh, jump into the roof over the next couple of years. You anticipate some China situation being solved, but I mean, overall blocking and tackling our overall dynamics of our economy. Um, I, I feel that we're on our way up, not, uh, we're not, uh, hedging our bets about going lower. Uh, I think our used equipment values, you know, we're, we're in the used equipment business. Uh, we're not seeing those drops like we, we have in the past, Yeah. you know? So I, I mean, there's, there's pretty gosh darn, uh, it's going to, I don't want to say that you're going to have this huge bump. I mean, but it's, I made a comment to you about back to the new normal, you know, I, right. I that steady flow of transactions, I think will occur. I just mm-hmm. don't think there'll be that. You talked about the boom a minute ago. There's not going to be a boom. I mean, it's going to be a five no. to 10 year trough uh, to get back to, I, 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 I still will not use the word boom. I just think it's a steady flow of trans, transactions. You know, it, it's it's the one thing about the seed companies. They've, they've gone out in order to increase their market share and, and to, to sell more product and, and to increase stock values and stuff like that. Once the United States had become a very mature market in Canada, for that matter, um, and become mature markets, you know, you look at two places, they started looking outside of that and, and trying to figure out how to how to increase their market share. And the easiest way for them to do that were to start looking at, at other countries. And you start seeing countries like Brazil come online yeah, and, yeah. and countries like Argentina come online. And you start looking at what's happening in Africa and, and what their biggest limiting factor is, is infrastructure, right? So once that infrastructure thing gets put in place, then all of a sudden you've got this huge, I mean, we have a global market now, but if you have everybody had a similar infrastructure to, to what the U.S. has, even though we have our issues with age and those different things like that, could you imagine what, what the market would look like then? I mean, it would give, it, it would not be it would take off and go crazy. No, it wouldn't be. But I think on the bigger grand scale scheme of things, if you take a look at the number of U.S. farmers that we have right now and Canadian farmers for that matter, um, and what that looks like, that number, you know, I looked at a report the other day from the USDA, pretty sure it's USDA. Anyway, saw a report someplace, but it was talking about the overall farm structure and they have a, they have a pretty old uh, kind of model. You know, anything over 2000 acres is a, is a right. huge mega farmer, right? Well, that's a, that's a pretty vast group when you get above 2000, 2000 acres, right? Uh, I don't know if I can the point there, a big farmer, but nowadays, but uh, keep going. That's exactly right. So, but the, uh, the big part about that, that was interesting was that it was on the, the ends that were growing, right? It was, it was the large, five six thousand plus acre farmer that was growing mm-hmm. and then it was the on the other side of that it was the the 100 200 you know 50 acre type stuff that was growing on the other side the the what you know rural lifestyle hobby farmer type thing you know weekend warrior type of deal growing on the other side 
We'll get back to Casey and Don in a moment, but first a quick word from the company who made this podcast possible. Iron Solutions has deep roots in the ag industry with products for producers, dealers, manufacturers, ag retailers, and service providers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com to see solutions that streamline your operations, improve productivity, reduce costs, and speed your growth. Let's get back to the program now as Casey and Don discuss the changing dynamic of the family farm and how farms will continue to diversify and evolve. They also talk about the challenge that comes along with equipment continuing to get larger and how finding second buyers from something as large as a 48 or 50 row planter isn't easy. They also get into how the surplus of combines from 2012 through 14 will cause inventory problems. If you take that the other side, the big tracks of land that these guys are coming up against, we're seeing in our in our area where you've got guys that are, and it's not so much that they're they're going out of business because that's not true, but the guy's retiring, and as he retires, he's looking at his seven hundred fifty thousand or a million dollars worth of, of of land and equipment and everything else that he can auction off and retire on. Even if he were to have son or daughter come back into the operation, there's not enough there to maintain that family that's coming in and also pay for for dad's retirement and I, and I think that's a uh, that's getting to be a bigger deal um, it has and it's really not the farm failure thing that that's grown yeah you read a lot of articles about you know bankruptcies and this that and the other stuff that you hear from like the, the Casey Fed and those kind of things like that but I think in my my opinion it's just there's not enough for multiple people to 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 operate off are you seeing something similar in your area uh, I would agree there. I mean, you can't, you hear about the kids coming back home and there's just not enough, as you just said, not enough there to support that family. And then, uh, the brother or the sister and the grandma, grandpa, the dad's retirement there, there's just not enough there. The margins are so slim, you know, and then you try to get more land to try to increase that volume per se then uh, along with that comes the expenses. There's just not enough there to support multiple generations on a farm. But that, you know, that leads into uh, diversification. Uh, I think farming will continue to evolve just like it always has. You know, they made a comment a minute ago about how much I love this industry. They always find a way. You know, you have no money, you find a way to repair. Um, you need a piece of equipment or you need a new way to put a seed in the ground, they find a way. Um, and just like uh, the, they'll find different crops to grow. They'll find a different way to have different revenue streams into the farm. There might be more niche stuff going on. There might be different, um, different crops in the corn, bean, and soybeans, or excuse me, the corn, bean, and wheat. So, I mean, heck, you hear stories about uh, how pe- people start a fish farm, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And those things are popping up in the, in the most uh, unusual areas. <laughs> unusual areas. You know, you think you, the South, you know, has been always growing catfish and those kind of things. But you're talking about guys up in my area. There's there's aquaculture up here. There's yeah, yeah. people up in North and South Dakota. All you really need is a, is a barn to keep stuff warm and you can kind of grow fish about any time of the year, I guess. You know, we just talked a minute ago about the. Uh, people finding a way, you know, you talk about these autonomous vehicles. Um, I I think one of your podcasts talked about, uh, can't get any bigger in equipment and we can't, I mean, the roadways don't support it. Uh, you don't have enough labor. You don't have enough time in the day. (laughs) Um, you know, you have to think of these autonomous vehicles and, uh, 
uh, go with smaller equipment. I mean, that's, yeah. Might be the way of the future or not might be. It will be the way of the future. Yeah. There's a, uh, there's a big push right now on the farm labor side of stuff. And it's, uh, that's why we have 54 row planters. You know what I mean? It's not so much the labor side of it, but it's these tight windows that we see. Right. Correct. Yeah. You know, if a guy's got seven days of planning and on bookend by, by seven days of rain on both sides of that, you got to make the most out of those three or four days that you have to actually go out and plant something. You know what I mean? And you watch Twitter and everything else, and you start seeing these guys look at their monitors, and they're planting 120 acres an hour. Well, my neck of woods, that's a circle, right? You, you plant one circle an hour, you got 40 circles in 40 hours, you're done, right? And and that's that's a what used to take two or three weeks to do now it takes you if you really get after it, it might take you three or four days to get it done. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you look at today's May 14th again, talking to a different farmer here two days ago, it's May 14th. He hasn't planted uh, a single corn seed and uh, it's May 14th. Well, yesterday was May 13th. Uh, windows May 20th. So you got seven days. It's going to rain three, four of those seven days. And he still hasn't made the decision not to plant corn because he has a big enough planter to where he can run out for two, three days and get most of his corn crop in. So yeah. to your point, the, the bigger equipment, but I just think long-term uh, you, you can't get equipment that's, you don't want to say you can't, but uh, it's not very efficient just to get bigger and bigger and bigger equipment. Uh, as you, well, yeah. Or infrastructure. Well, the other part, other side of that too, when you start taking a look at a planner, for example, yeah. let's just use that to stay on that topic for a minute. Well, I, you see these stuff out here where they've got like, uh, I saw one the other day where a guy had uh I want to say it was a 54 row, might've been a DB 120 or something like that. But you know, you have two, uh, two central commodity fuel st uh, stations on that thing. And you've got all this stuff going on. Plus you're pulling a big, huge fertilizer tank behind it. And just, it's, it's a, it's a goddamn train just going down the road, man. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, you know, when you get it all put together, Hey, we had a guy the other day move his planter from his farm to his, to his Northern end of his, of his farming territory. And he had to get a crane truck to move his trailer. It's 79 feet long it's, uh, to make it. To, so we didn't have a trailer that could move it. That's, you know, so it was just stuff efficient. like that, that. That's not efficient. That's no, not, that's not. You're not making, you don't want to say you're not making money. There's a reason why he does it. But you just, you can't have equipment that big. And you talk about equipment that big and how many farmers can afford it, number one. Right. But it's two, three years down the road when you want to go trade it off from an equipment dealership point of view who the hell we, yep. who the hell we going to sell it to exactly right it's exactly right because the guy that's gonna buy that planner um i'm not gonna sit here and say i'm not gonna paint with a broad brush and say that they're only a new buyer but they're probably gonna buy new cool. right correct, correct so you know you're not gonna have a lot of used guys you know the smaller acreage guys going like you know what i've got i got four thousand acres you know i could i could plant and about 72 hours and be done with this thing. No one's thinking like that, right? I mean, yeah, they are like, it'd be great to have something like that. But then once you get a piece of equipment like that, the other side of that coin is all the support equipment that you have to have to make it run efficiently. Correct. You know what I mean? Correct. How many seed tenders do you need to have? How many trucks you got to have? How many, you know, I'll just on and on and on. Just like getting a bigger combine. You know, you go from a class seven to a class nine combine. Well, all of a sudden, 
now you need a, a, a head you don't you don't need a a 35 foot head you need a you need a 45 foot head to make it run efficiently and do what you need to do and make it make it feed properly and everything else now you need an extra truck or you need an extra grain cart or an extra track i mean it's just a it's just a bigger and bigger deal and that's what that that's the thing that when you start talking about those kind of things it's it's not so much the you know, hey, we're gonna we're gonna just get a bigger combine. It's well, I'm gonna get a bigger combine, but I'm also gonna have to do X, Y, and Z to keep up with it. Otherwise, you're really doing the same amount you had with your class seven, class eight combine. Uh, correct. I again, a, a bigger just creates more problems. But you know, I'll, I'll repeat the statement: uh, we've always figured out a way, and they'll continue to figure oh, yeah. out a way to farm. Yeah. yeah, it's going to it's going to continue down that road. So, let's talk about a few a few pieces of equipment right now. Um, my biggest concern I have in the marketplace right now, and it's always my biggest concern. If you listen to this podcast, you know it's my biggest concern. It's combines. Um, and you look at the look at the, we track combines and and where they um, how they how they fit into the to the overall grand scheme picture. And it looks like the used combine inventory is growing across uh, North America. Um, all across all lines. So what are you seeing up your way and, and how do you feel about that market? Uh, combines, um, we're in a little bit different boat. Just the stores, I uh, can't compliment our stores high enough and the discipline that, uh, that they've done. Uh, we're actually um, short combines. Um, we know that there's that bubble, 11, 12, 13, 14s. We all know it. They all hold on. They're held onto the combines longer than longer than they normally would have. There's just that bubble where everybody had money. Everybody went out and bought an extra combine or two, and they're all sitting out there. Um, I'm not saying that we're not worried about combines. We are, um, but we're actually short combines. And I think red, green, whatever. Uh, we're all short the 16, 17, 18 model just because there wasn't oh, absolutely. enough production. Yeah. But uh, we are concerned about combines that, again, those 11 through 14, uh, four-wheel drives, uh, surprisingly. Uh, we had a little bit of win there or a little bit of run there at the end of the year, first start of the year. But uh, four-wheel drive inventory uh, is a bit of concern, just a little bit slow moving. Um, yeah. But we got some, I mean, there's some pockets there, Casey, that, uh, uh, you know, good. They moved, you, you can tr- go trade it in. You're helping out that farmer that wants to upgrade because we need his piece. I mean, there's there's not a better position for a farmer that when a dealership is coming out to that dealer or that farmer and saying, hey, we need your piece because I got a home for it over here. Uh, it's, yeah. it's a perfect solution for that guy trading in, perfect solution for that guy looking for something. Uh, so there are some pockets that uh, we're we're pretty uh, pretty excited about. Yeah, and that's that's where my I'm the same way with you on your on your combine analogy there. I just I have a uh, same thing. If we had you know the the 18s and in the 17s and the 16s, I think we'd be we have those machines and we've got a lot of people working on those. It's the we start kind of getting into you know the, the little bit of the 15s, but mostly the 14s and the 13s and the 12s. <clears throat> that's when you really start seeing a big swing in in the overall market, and and that's where 
that tightening. I mean, they're just like that at that point, those machines there have become very much a commodity. They're just because there's so many of them and you want a 1500 hour combine. Well, you got a lot to pick from. And but the part of our problem, and I think a lot of people's problem is this, is that everyone's got a 1500 hour combine they want to trade in. And that and that's where we're running into the biggest hurdle. But if we know that going into it, I mean, uh, us dealerships, yes, you want the business. We've been through the ups, we've been through the downs, we went through, I mean, the history is still pretty fresh as far as uh, 13, 14, 15, and the, right. the purge of equipment that we've had to go through. I mean, the pain, we the pain is still fresh. Um, but knowing that, one thing those dealerships hopefully will recognize is, is that that model years of 12, 13, 14, we talked maybe a little bit of 11s too, I mean, it is a commodity and, and treat, it as, treat it as such, buy it as such. And gosh darn, if you don't have a home for it and or if you're not already already at auction prices, then don't do the deal. No matter how right. bad we want that fresh new sale. I mean, if the dynamics don't work and the economics don't work, it, it doesn't work. Right. A quick break in the action to invite you to our annual Dealership Mind Summit. Check out this unique management event for farm equipment dealers only at www.dealershipmindssummit.com. It's a quick hit, two-day mastermind style summit that connects you to your peers of all colors. Come participate and learn from the very best minds in the ag machinery dealer world, all seeking solutions to your same challenges www.dealershipmindssummit.com What's your thought on this right here? So this is something I've been giving some thought to and I, and I think as commodity prices come up, like you said, there's that replacement factor that's playing in there. How much of a factor in uh, could we see in the end of the year with those, those year model combines, um, those 13, 14, <clears throat> 11s um, model combines out there? How much of a factor do you think that could play in the overall retail marketplace if we kind of hit that, well, we have no, really our, our best option for these combines is uh, is the auction block, irregardless of whether you have them at auction price or not. But how much of an effect on the retail market do you see that happen? There will be this huge, I think there's going to be a huge premium for that that one and two and three year old stuff. It's when you get to that five, six, seven year old stuff that we're starting to see out there pile up now, there will be, there's going to make some kind of splash in the marketplace. What are your thoughts on that? I, I, that's a tough one. I just, I don't think you can buy them low enough. I mean, to put it bluntly, uh, there's just not enough, there's not enough farmers. <laughs> I mean, if you, have, right. if you have a fifteen hundred dollar machine or a two thousand dollar machine, and you want to go trade in, and your only option is another fifteen hundred, two thousand dollar machine, I mean, it, it just it makes no sense. You know? right. So then it will go to the auctions. Um, I don't know if you mentioned about the the recon business, but. Uh, I mean, could you buy a combine cheap and put 30, 40 grand into it and have a combine that will last you? You know, you always look at your cost per acre, cost per hour, and it might make sense to buy an older combine and fix it up and run it for the X number of hours rather than going out and buying that $400,000 new one. Uh, yeah. I, again, there, people will find a way to adapt. Um, yeah. So... I just feel that there's going to be too much, uh, whether it be tractors, whether it be combines, 
more specifically more specifically combines and corn heads. Uh, there's just too much in the marketplace uh, for the industry or for the consumer base to to absorb it. Uh, and we, yep. the farmers have to be aware of it. The dealerships have to be aware of it, aware of it, and act appropriately. Yeah, I hope my hunch is right. I hope a lot of these these older combines like this are the ones that we can market as you know cheap, you know cheap leases or something like that, where you're looking at sixty to 80 bucks an hour to operate these things and they become a, uh, a secondary machine, you know, backup machine. I, I, you know, the typical, I want to rent a combine every year type stuff. Well, our rental rate versus what they can lease them for are, are significantly higher. You know what I mean? What our rental rate is compared to what these are. So you look at hopefully the, we can do that. You look at the lease side of it though. Um, leasing is not an option on the older combines just because uh, at the end of the lease, it's older than 10 years old. Um, mm-hmm. there might be an opportunity you just mentioned as far as a rental thing, but, uh, my experience is, experience with rentals is no matter what, what rent that you collect, mm-hmm. it never pays for the recon necessary to resell it. I, I thought I was the only one that had that problem. <laughs> I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize there's a universal deal there. I think it happens on the red side too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That written thing. I mean, it's, it's a good service to the customers and I, and I understand why we do it and it's uh it's what it is what it is. And, and I'm glad that, that we, that we do that. But at the end of the day, it is, it makes I, it hard. I, I, there it, is, it's tough. There is an opportunity there though. Um, you know, as far as farm, bigger farmers need equipment here. If you do it right, manage it right, set it up right, have your rules in place. Uh, I do think there's an opportunity there. Opportunity there. Yeah, I do too. I think, but it's like any other. That's why, like the uh, construction companies have, have done such a such a great job in the rental side. It's it's rental utilization, right? Oh. And you take a, a wheel loader or something like that. You can run that thing 365 days a year, 24 seven, right? No, no big deal. Um, combine, you've got. If you're lucky, I mean, and you run it every single solitary day that you could possibly run it, you might have 90 days, 120 days, maybe. You know? I wasn't quite that high, but you're right. I mean, uh, you look at, you talk about combine rentals, you look at some of the companies, uh, Machinery Link being one in particular, that yeah. ran them from Texas, you know, all the way up to the north here. Uh, mm-hmm. They had two runs at it, two different versions of what they tried to accomplish and, and they could not make it work. Um, yeah. it's, it's renting combines is just a tough, tough deal. Uh, renting a tractor, uh, renting some other piece of equipment, uh, a little bit more, uh, um, not as high of a risk. It's just that combine thing is a tough, tough deal. Yep. The combine deal works. If you can have, you leave one farm and then you just drive down the road and you drop it off the next farm. You drive down the road and drop it off the next farm. We try to do something similar like that where you, where you've and, and different places that I've worked, we've tried to do that where you've done the, we're going to start the very Southern end of our territory and, and work North and we'll have whatever, however many combines and it, it just doesn't work. You don't, you don't get the, the fluidness that no. you on paper. It's great, man. It works great on paper. I can tell you that much, but <laughs> when you actually have to implement it in real life, it doesn't work so well. Sort of like my golf game, man, it looks great on paper, <laughs> but the reality of my golf game is a completely different thing. Yeah. I, I feel you. I feel you on that one. Okay. All right. One more thing. Let's talk about this and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. All right. So, as you look out towards the end of the year and you see what's happening now, we're headed into uh, the spring here is about 
about done the spring, the spring planning seasons kind of like you talked about wrapping up here and headed towards the end what's your overall feel for the end of 2019 um going into harvest those kind of things what's your feel for the uh for the economy oh you know the I think it's just steady as it goes. I don't think there's going to be a a huge bump, even if the China thing, you know, when they meet on the 20th or whatever in June, I think there might be a lot of rhetoric going on to uh, see who's bigger. And they might come to this grandiose deal come the 20th of June or something like that. But I just think that initial bump of when the tariffs, if it does end, I think there will be an, an initial bump, but overall, the 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 basics of the economy are pretty good. Uh, yeah. uh, I don't think I don't see uh, a big windfall of anything. I see discipline. I see steady as it goes. Grab an opportunity here or there, but don't get carried away, and just just execute. I guess I don't see a big big. Uh, big movement in things i would uh i would agree with that i mean i think if we do get something happens with china and we get something something will happen with china before the summer's over i, I, I agree. promise you I that do agree. you know whether whether we win or we lose and they want to try to spend it on whatever it, it, something's going to happen going into the 2020 election cycle you can i, you, I guarantee I can you both, promise you that i guarantee both sides will say they won <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, I mean, it will be, yep, well, see, we want it, we want it for you, America. Good job. And then you won't be able to tell heads from tails on what it was. But at the end of the day, I, I am, I think the weather is going to have a bigger, um, bigger splash in the market than the tariffs ever will. I mean, the tariffs are going to bring that stabilization to the market, but the swings that we see, the volatility where money can be made is, is going to happen from the weather. So, um, you know, I've got, I've had Sean Hackett on here last time, normal Wednesday guest talking about the markets, but he, uh, you know, he follows sunspots yeah. and, and how that affects the, the weather and all those kind of things. And, and this, it's the stuff he talks about. So, I mean, it's, it's, it happens. There's no, there's no, we can't deny any of that stuff from happening. So, um, if we are in that cycle that he, that he was describing in 134, if you get a chance to go back and take a listen to it, but, um, this weather thing is, is going to be an issue moving forward. You know, we're going to talk about it's just going to get harder and harder, um, and, and there's going to be more and more, um, you know, crop failures and, and stuff like we're seeing now and those kind of things taking place. So at the end of the day, I, I look out the end of 2019, and I'm, I'm a little bit bullish. Um, I, I just, But I think any real economic push that we see in, in agriculture is going to be in 2020. It's not going to be in 2019. A little bit towards the end of the year, but the big kind of, you know, budding of this of this new flower that we call uh, farming is going to happen in 2020 on forward. So um, that, that part, I'm, that's kind of my, my I, I, approach. I would agree with as far as, I mean, it's going to take a while for the, again, uh, we talked a little bit about the debt, a uh, little, little bit about the, right. uh, um, eliminating or minimizing that stress level that's been building. And it'll just take a while for our emotions to, to work through it. And I would agree 2020 would be more of a uptick than anything uh, here in 2019. Absolutely, absolutely. 
Well, Don, it's a great conversation as usual. Uh, we're going to have a couple opportunities here this year to see each other face to face. I'm looking forward to that, yeah. catching up with you and see you. doing all that fun stuff. See you at the end of July. And I'm going to end you by the comment I made at the beginning of the podcast. In the words of Casey Seymour, there is no easy button. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that, buddy. And uh, <laughs> Don, if, if folks want to reach out to you and ask you questions, or maybe maybe sell you some more red combine since you're since you're running low, how would uh, how would they do that? My friend, anything sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, you guys give me a call. I <laughs> uh, can reach Don Overly at seven zero one three five six zero one three zero. You can always email me at Donald dot at titanmachinery.com right on okay well don always a pleasure man love talking to you love catching up with you so uh until i see you here in july have a good uh, rest of the spring here and we'll talk to you then bud all right buddy take care casey thanks casey and don we've got even more used equipment remarketing resources that we're sending your way in addition to this podcast we're also tapping into casey's expertise across all our informational channels if you've got a question for Casey, I'd encourage you to head over to farm-equipment.com backslash ask the expert. Submit a question and we'll get Casey's answer to it on our Ask the Expert blog. Thanks once again to Iron Solutions for sponsoring this series. Iron Solutions provides dealers like you with an array of lifecycle management services that drive sales and profits. The Iron Search and Iron Guide suite of solutions is all about managing each dealership more efficiently and profitably, while Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your used equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today. You can keep up with the latest industry news by registering online to receive our free newsletters. Visit www.farm-equipment.com. For Casey and Don, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.